recording. Recording. There you go. So I actually went. Okay, that's let me see. See how that works. It's reminding me to turn off the phone. The devil wants to knock early. <laughs> let me just turn this off. There you go, right here. Let's put that on airplane mode. Uh, the old man syndrome doesn't kick in. I get upset. Like, why am I being interrupted? Jesus. I'm just slapping somebody up. No, I'm sorry. So, anyway, so here we go. Here we go. All right. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. No, for real. For real. For real. For real. For real. For real. I'm ready. Okay, here we go. So, what's amazing is this chapter is actually dubbed No Lost Weekends. Which is really, oh, did I ask you guys? I said, thank you when I woke up. Then I said, thank you guys. Could you talk through me and be, let me be the instrument to talk to them, to talk back to me so I can do what you want me to do and we can all do what you want us to do and then we can actually just give you all the praise and glory. And so we could be a blessing and we just want to say thank you and I love you and I so love you. Did I tell you how much I love you today? I love you, Lord. Thank you. Can we start the day today? Can we do it together? Okay. I love you. Okay. Now, let's get started. Let's get started. Let's get started. Let's get started. Okay. So here we go. Here we go. It's dubbed in chapter 20, which we're actually covering, No Lost Weekends, which is really crazy, right, as, as we go through. And it's really a, co a combination, because I'm, I'm doing a little bit of something different, because he just told me to do something different. So y'all just listen, because he talking, okay? So I'm doing like a little bit of summation and a little bit more of it. Like, so I'm just going to put together this souffle for you. So it's really called No Lost no loss Weekends, and it's combined, it's combined with building character. Um, as we go into it, it's actually, and so if you look at the souffle, No Lost Weekends, if you put that down, and you understand that this, is, this particular chapter is all about building character, and you combine that with wisdom, weights, and wickedness. So that's what this chapter is all about, right? So we start in number one on Proverbs 20 on the 20th day with wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever led, is led astray by it is not wise. This is true at least two, in two senses. First, alcohol mocks and fights with those who abuse it in any sense. And second, alcohol leads one to be in a mocker and a brawler. I mean, it just takes you down the wrong alley. I've seen this happen with so many of my friends. Many men and women have their lives dominated by the mockery and the brawling of alcohol. This is really a big problem. I'm sure some of you are very familiar with it, and some of us may have even had a bout with it. It mocks the drunkard and makes him a fool promising him pleasure, but paying him with the stinging of an adder and the biting of a cockatree. Proverbs 23, 32. That was a sidebar. That was actually a verse. See, a mocker, it deceives by its fragrance. It intoxicates by its strength and renders the intoxicated ridiculous. All kinds of drink that will alienate the understanding of a man and make him drunk as ale, beer, cider, peri, method. It's just amazing because it's, it's, you got to know your body, too, because I have seen alcohol do some crazy things to people. I mean, crazy from one spectrum to the other. It's like a pendulum swing. Um, for me, it's too much. I just go to sleep. <laughs> You know, but I've seen it. You got another your body chemistry. But if you look at the second part of this verse, whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Wisdom is displayed by the ability to not be led astray by alcohol. For many, this means not drinking alcohol at all, especially pastors and church leaders. For others, this will mean the, you know, mean the decided. 
evident moderation in their use of alcohol. Let it straight speaks for itself. In the, it's not why it speaks for itself. So we're going to go right to two. The wrath of a king is like a roaring of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger sins against his own life. Let me just say that again. The wrath of a king is like the, roar, the roaring of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger sins against his own life. See, using an image from previous Proverbs, in Proverbs 19, 12, when we talked about this yesterday, this Proverbs reminds us that those in power and leadership have potential for a great and fearful exercise of wrath. Since in many ways, the king held the power of life and death over his subjects to provoke the king to anger was to endanger one's own life. So you didn't want to provoke the king because he held this, this fury over people, this fear of people. You know what I mean? He just kept this fear. You, it's, it's a natural fear of loss. Knowing this principle should make us more reverent to the kings of kings. See, if we know that man is already a faulty man, and if he's a king, he's a faulty king, but he uses this in a way that, you know, when a person, when he's angered, that you can lose your death, then what this verse is saying is that's the king and God appointed the king, then we should be more careful about pissing off our own king of kings. <laughs> that's a simple way of putting it if you're, if you're really listening. And yeah, really, I mean, be happy that our King of Kings is rich in mercy and slow to anger. Psalms 103.8. Let's be very clear about that. And three, it is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a, start a quarrel. Many men feel that honor drives them to dispute and fight with others. This proverb reminds us that oftentimes it is even more honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel in many circumstances, it, can, it, it takes a man of honor to stop the fight. But any fool can start the quarrel and continue it. Mm. The wise are more concerned to bring peace than a desire to be right. But the fool cannot restrain himself. And the first opportunity explodes and shows his teeth. Number four. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. I like when they talk about seasons in the scripture. Winter designates the Palestinian raining season from mid-October to about April. Since no sowing could have been done without plowing, the farmer waited for the first autumn and the rains to soften the ground so they could actually break it up as I talk about sowing seed and being able to build something for your life, right? So the sluggard is what we're talking about. We're going back to the sluggard here in this piece right here. However, lacks the industry to plow from winter on. The only time that matters is during this time, and the sluggard is not doing anything. The right time for planting was the rainy season, and that's actually referred to in Genesis, uh, Genesis 8.22. You know, it was cold, wet, and unpleasant. Perhaps such discomfort was his excuse. Um, but what excuse is really going to, you know, I mean, this, those that are lazy, those that make excuses, those that stay inside their head, those that want to come up with all the different activities to generate no results except for the work itself. I mean, 
what do we say all the time? Excuses satisfy the people that make them. All I'm saying is God doesn't like your excuses. He doesn't like my excuses. He doesn't like the people that procrastinate. He doesn't like the people that are, are lazy. He doesn't like the people that, you know, don't do. You know, there's a reason why he was called the carpenter. The lazy man will work after a fashion. He will do the work of begging, is what this is saying. Having no reward from his works or his hands. He will even have to beg during harvest. Often his begging will go unrewarded. Number five, counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Wisdom may lie deep within a man or woman and not be immediately apparent. It may be a hidden reservoir ready in the season of need. The metaphor is of well whose waters are far beneath the surface of the ground so that one must use a bucket with a long rope to draw water to the surface. Thus, a person's real motives are deep in that they are difficult to extract. One must be weary of the pretenses of others. As we talk about counsel in the heart of man, it's like deep waters. But then we talk about a man of understanding will draw it out. Wisdom not only knows how to get and have wisdom, it also knows how to use it. The wise man, the man of understanding, knows how to draw wisdom out for practical and ready use now. By prudent questions and discourses and a diligent observation of his words and actions, we can see what he's saying here. Those who are wise can discern the motives of the heart. We move into number six. As we move into number six, most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? See, if you notice in just a couple of chapters back, we're talking about finding a faithful woman, a good woman, somebody that was not like rehab. But now we're talking about finding a faithful man. There you go. Now there's a conversation the women can jump up. I see some of y'all jumping, even though you got your picture on. You're like, yeah, where's the faithful man at? I understand. Don't worry about it. It's coming. It's coming right here. Proverbs 26. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness. It is true that most everyone feels they are good in their own eyes. Many are happy to proclaim it, wanting others to know all of their supposed good. See, who can find a faithful man? There was the question in the scripture. It said, who can find a faithful man. It says, but can find a faithful man. Who can find? They didn't say it ain't got nothing to do with the man. See, some of y'all sitting right there, I can see you right now. You're like, yeah, we're a faithful man. No, it says, who can find a faithful man? <laughs> y'all gonna stick with me this morning. The Holy Ghost gonna jump right out of this body, I'm telling you right now. So as you look at it, true faithfulness is in a man is different than self advertised goodness. A faithful man doesn't want or need to proclaim his own goodness. The quiet satisfaction of faithfulness to God and man is enough. See, if we look ourselves in the mirror of God's word, does our neighbor or our friend find that we are faithful as a friend? Do we often speak, you know, uh, what we know to be, will be accepted rather than what is true? Um, it's pretty much never, I want to under, Never want to under, underrate the importance of moral integrity. You never want to undermine moral integrity. See, and it actually goes into it in number seven. The righteous man walks in integrity. His children are blessed after him. For a righteousness, or if you will, a righteous man or a righteous woman, their upright living and integrity will be actually lived out. 
They will walk in their integrity. They will stay in their integrity. You will not have to question if there's integrity because it will drip off of them. His children are blessed after him. It's so much coming out of their pores. I mean, it's so much internalized in their veins. It's so much in their bones. It's passed on to their children. The greatest gift a parent can give to their child is for that parent to be a righteous, upright person who walks in his integrity. That, will, that one will create a home and atmosphere and environment that will be a blessing to the child and the child's child. Hence, this is also where passing on generational wealth comes from. It truly starts with the fabric of the home first before you can actually get prosperity for the home. Hopefully you guys are getting this. Anybody getting this? Because I'm getting this. It goes a little bit deeper. You got to pull the covers back a little bit on this one because you truly got to internalize the conversation underneath the conversation. It answers the temptation to get on at all costs for the sake of the children. It means that you're willing to give everything up to get everything back tenfold in righteousness in your walk with God so that you can pass it on to your home, which in your home creates an environment for your children that then in turn will be caught, not bought, to be passed on to the next generation. See, a king who sits on the throne of judgment scatters all evil with his eyes. That's number eight, by the way. In the ancient world, kings not only governed, they were also the highest court and judge in the kingdom. A faithful king would carry out their responsibilities and sit on the throne of judgment. That makes it a great care and business to execute judgment and justice amongst his people, especially if he does this in his own right as a person, as was usual in ancient times, and sees things in his own eyes. See, righteousness at the top was necessary to undergrid the whole judicial system. Scatters all evils with his eyes, the present alone. When we talk about that, by scatters all evils with scatters all evils, scatters, scatters scripts, scripts, scatters all evil with his eyes, the presence alone of a king in judgment over his realm. <laughs> It's enough to scatter all evil. When a people know that evil will be punished by God and just leadership, it makes evil to scatter. Certainly the principle stands that a government roots out the evils of society. The practice eye of a true ruler sifts the shaft from the wheat. Still sure is the spirit of the Lord, Isaiah 11.3 as a reference point. Proverbs 29, who can say, I have made my heart clean. I am pure from sin. We're going somewhere here. See, who can say, who can say, it is a part of the human nature to overestimate and boast over oneself. Many can say this, proverb, but none with real humility and integrity. No man living upon this earth can say this truly and sincerely compare 1 Kings 8.46. This also is spoken about in Ecclesiastes. In fact, John actually gets into it. I am pure from my sin. I am perfectly free from all guilt and filth of sin in my heart and life. Mm. Someone would lie about it. This is the eternal challenge, which has but one answer. When a man recognizes this, he begins to inquire for a savior. I have made my heart clean. Now there we are as we evolve. Don't say my heart is clean. Say, I have made my heart clean because you can't purify your heart in the love and the blood of Jesus. For that's why he gave himself, his son, to him. I mean, it just makes sense. I am pure from sin. It meant in any ultimate sense, this is the boast or the claim of a fool. 
Sometimes there are claims to a clean heart or purity from sin by godly men in the Bible, but those are only true in a relative sense, such as the comparison between oneself and one's enemies. Only vain people can boast that they have pure hearts, but the boast far from showing their goodness, demonstrates their blindness. Man is so depraved that he cannot understand his own depravity. No man, but thousands can testify that the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed them from all unrighteousness. It's funny, as I actually got through one piece, it brought me back to the second piece, and it was the first interpretation that was right in the first place. If you are still curious, is anybody following me in this conversation? It's really quite deep. It's really like right on point. That's when I know God's talking to me because I say one thing and then I go and read another thing and then I interpret another thing. And then he says the same thing in somebody else's words that I got the summation from when I actually already broke it down. And that's when I know it has nothing to do with me. But I want to repeat that because it's really powerful because what I said earlier, not because I said it, it's because he said it through me. And in turn, it just makes sense because that's how we're supposed to interpret this so that we can truly break this down. No man but thousands can testify. No man. But thousands can testify that the blood of Jesus has cleansed them from all unrighteousness, and he is pure from his sin, who is justified freely through the redemption that is in Jesus. Because that's the only way you are going to be purified. I mean, unless you want to go down to hell and get burnt up, but then you will be purified in that of God. But that's a whole other conversation in itself. I'm just saying, you know, I mean, hey, you know, for me, purification, I'm trying to get in some water, some holy water. I'm not going to no fire. I'm just, the fire, I'm just letting you know. That's, that just, I'm just talking to you. Okay. okay, okay, stick with me here. In 10 diverse weights and diverse measures, they are both alike, an abomination to the Lord. See, diverse weights and diverse measures. What he's saying here is God wants business and trading. And I want you to say that because I've been going through it in at least three verses here in Proverbs as we've run through these 20 days. And that is whenever he's going to talk about measurement and weights, it's 99.999 times applicable to business so that you guys can start to understand how to truly dissect this word right so god wants business and trading to be done fairly and justly and to have diverse weights and measure means that you will cheat both the buyer and the seller god wants our weights and measurements to be proper and consistent they are both alike an abomination to the lord god feels so strongly about deceptive business practices that he used a strong word abomination to describe them god himself has far fair weights and measures he expects humanity made in his image to have them also Traders use the scanty weights and measures for selling and the large ones for buying. Significantly, all the Proverbs that denounce false scales and measures explicitly link the Lord's name in the abomination formula with the Proverbs 11, 1, 20, 10, and 23, also 15, 25, and 16, 11. So whenever you guys go back and listen to this you know, recording, you can write all that down. I don't have time to say it slow, but it's all in Proverbs. How about that? As we move to 11, even a child is known by his deeds. Whether what he does is pure and right. Even a child is known by his deeds. See, especially in the realm of the religious and the faithful, it is easy for us to think of ourselves only by what we believe instead of also by what we do. We are also more than what we do, but even a child is known by his deeds. We shouldn't deny that others see and understand us by the measure of our deeds. 
And I quote, we may easily learn from the child what the man will be. In general, they give indications of those trades and callings for which they are adapted by nature. And on the whole, we cannot go by a sure guide in preparing our children for the future life than by observing their early propensities. The future engineer is seen in the little handicraftsman of the two-year-old. And the second part of that, whether by, you know, whether what he does is pure and right and right, the outside world, our own community, and God in heaven, look at our deeds to see if they are pure and right. Certainly no child who says, I am well behaved, will find his words taken at face value. I mean, could you imagine a child saying, hello, I am a child, but I'm well behaved. Really? <laughs> Just the child saying that scares the life out of me. <laughs> you know there's a storm coming. <laughs> The child just walks up to you. Could you imagine? You know, it says, hello there. Yes, I know I'm young. I know I'm a child. I'm only three or four years old, but I am so well behaved. You can leave me alone. Just leave me on the couch. Leave me with the TV. Oh, don't worry about the sugar. Did you leave the cookies in the cookie jar where I could reach it? Oh, yes. Yes, I'm a child. Yes, please just understand. I mean, come on. People will evaluate the child by how he or she behaves. The implication is that appearances and words can be deceiving. Behavior is a better criteria than judgment itself. As we get into 12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. God has given men and women remarkable capacity to see and understand the world around them. Our ability to hear and see should be for us as gateways to wisdom, gateways to wisdom, gateways to wisdom. Listening and observing are important qualities for a good disciple, and a sage regularly calls upon him to use them to read and hear his teachings. Now, the Lord has made both of them. We are clear that he has made both of them, but some people act like they forgot. Since our hearing and our sight are gifts, our gifts, we take that for granted. Until we can't see, until we can't hear, all of our senses, till you can't smell. I think a little while ago, some of you were around me when I couldn't hear. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I can't hear. I can't even imagine. They're gifts. We should determine to use them for his honor and glory. It also reminds us that we can hear and see because we are made in God's image. The Lord has a hearing ear and a seeing eye. Since God made the eyes and the ears, he is an infallible judge. No one can deceive him with appearances. 2013, do not love sleep lest you come to poverty. Some of y'all need to listen to this. Y'all need to tell some other people. You know, you know people, I just love my sleep. I love my sleep. I just love my sleep. Oh, I don't know how you doing, Mr. Nelson, because I just love my sleep. I mean, Jesus, oh, I got to get up how early? I got to stay up how late? How do you do that? I don't know. I love my sleep. I do not love to sleep. <laughs> There's a difference. When I'm on empty, trust, I love sleep as much as every person here. But that's after I'm on empty. Because I do believe that you dream while you're awake. Because you can't build anything while you're asleep. <laughs> oh, do not love sleep lest you come to poverty. And that scares the living daylights out of me. Just that statement in itself. Lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with bread. Do not love sleep unless you love. 
Look, to love sleep and the laziness connected to it brings one to self-poverty. Immoderate sleep or sloth or idleness takes sleep because necessity requires it, not from any love to it. The number of hours one sleeps per day is not the point. Love of sleep refers to laziness, but one can be lazy, although sleeping very little. And as we open our eyes and we get that bread, as we get that bread, see, he even, even Jesus talking about get that bread, get that bread, get that bread. Don't get upset. Don't get scared off when Jesus talking about get that bread. And so you will be satisfied with bread, all kinds of bread, paper, 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 paper. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying, yes, I'm on one this morning, but I'm just letting you know what Jesus is saying. It takes some initiative and energy to open your eyes, to get out of bed and go to work, but the reward is worth it. You will avoid poverty and you will be satisfied with bread, more bread, paperbacks. In God's economic system, hard work is rewarded. See, open your eyes, just under, you guys get it, 2014. It is good for nothing, cries the buyer, but when he has gone his way, he boasts. This is what the buyer cries out. In the game and competition of bargaining, the buyer always wants to speak less of what he wants to buy, hoping to get a better price from the seller. The bargaining words of the buyer are empty. They are only a strategy for negotiation. The proverb reminds us what people say isn't always what they believe, and people will speak falsehoods for their own advantages. Proverbs 20:15. There is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. There is gold and a multitude of rubies, and the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Hmm. Here, Solomon presents the picture of a large pile of gold and a, and a lot of precious stones. We think of this pile as impressive value, if you will. I mean, if you go, Solomon presented another treasure, the precious jewel of wise words. That's what he's saying when he's talking about lips of knowledge, wise words. We immediately see the value of the pile of gold and rubies, but we need to better appreciate the value of wise words. We need to truly take advantage and and value wise words over the materialistic things on this planet. Because if you get the wise words, you'll get everything else that's on the planet. Because <laughs> you'll be wise in, in all your decisions, all your business decisions, all your family decisions, all your health decisions. What good is a man to gain the world and lose his soul? So you didn't got everything, and now you did. You're rolling up in a Bentley. I just got a Bentley! Bury him. <laughs> really? Really? You know how many, how many times that actually happens? I mean, it's crazy. And because it's, and it, here's the other side of this. Now I'm just going to interject here. When you do chase and accumulate all this stuff, it really is as bad as a drug because you gain an insatiable appetite. Now I'm talking from wisdom here because I'm talking from experience. And I'm telling you why this is so powerful in apropos. I was actually listening and studying last night, early in the evening, about the athletes. And I have a, a thing of, um, it's like where your, where your mind goes, your, your, you know, your values grow. I have this thing of wanting to, one, own an NBA team. Two, to be able to truly, I, I don't know how it's going to intervene in regards to uh, representing 
athletes that are ignorant when it comes to what they do with their money. They say a fool and his money shall soon part. And so I have had the blessing of knowing quite a few athletes. And I was listening to some of the most stupid, uh, actually it says, and I'm not calling them stupid, it, the actual um, audio piece was on some of the most stupid mistakes people have made. You know, one was a person said, oh, Draymond was like, I blew $40,000 one night in the club. Um, and some of the other mistakes. And what was really, you know, it, it took me back to earlier um, chapters when it says, sometimes it's better to be poor to go through a storm than it is to be rich. And I'm listening to them and I'm listening to their mistakes. And I'm like, I didn't even have a multi-million dollar contract and I made that mistake. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, you think that's the most stupid mistake and you got a hundred million dollar contract. I don't have a hundred million dollar contract and I lost that amount of money on a stupid decision. So it, it's just, I don't know if you got this, but I was just like, oh my God, really? So this, this, this and it was just like really funny because they started talking um, to Shaq about Shaq actually had first access to, um, he had the first access before Magic to open up Starbucks. Um, you know, actually, and he didn't, he didn't take advantage of it. And there's all kinds of stories behind this, but what was really crazy is like, he said, you know, you can have stock. Everybody else was offering money. And where we came from, we didn't know what the hell stock was. So, <laughs> so he said, and he says, every time I'll walk, he said, also, he said, it wasn't the Starbucks. He said, also, the second time, because it was talking about missed opportunities. His second best, biggest missed opportunity was before Jordan, um, he was offered a whole lot of stock in uh, Nike. And so now he hates himself every time he walked. No, that was, uh, who had the converse? Who had the converse? I can't remember who had the base. I think, no, that was Magic's biggest mistake. So Magic hates every time he walks into a Nike store because, you know, he, who would have known that Nike would change the culture, just like Apple has changed the culture, just like there's certain individuals that have changed an entire culture. So it's like, it was really getting in on the wisdom of where and how they place their money. Um, on things that make a difference in the human race versus something that is just a startup or there's something that's flying right now that is short-lived. It's really finding things that are on a curvature. And anyway, this goes more into investing, but I'm studying this based on what I'm coupling in my own life, which deals with understanding the wisdom of what we're talking about here. And it's just everything, right? It's like find the wisdom. If I'm, I'm still in a 12, 2015, right? So the, the wise words, lips of knowledge, we immediately see the value of the pile of gold and rubies. We can see, you know, minorities, how quickly they are to get some shiny, you know, get a Rolex watch or get some diamonds or get diamond earrings or want to wear name brand clothes or want to do all this other stuff. Story after story through history, through history, and see what's, what's going to impress everybody else. But we need to get much greater at understanding how to value the words and value wisdom. This also goes into, you know, into, into all your relationships, your friends, your dating, everything. You know, I thought about the other day, it's like, I remember, and this is why I love Proverbs. I'm sorry if you guys, it's Sunday, it's a sidebar. If you gotta go understand it's being recorded. I'm just letting God do what he does for me. And hopefully it's serving you. Um, but I remember, little things that I used to love where today we do the traditional things. Let's just say 
let's just say you're in the dating scene. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time someone asked you or you asked someone, let's say you're dating your wife, your husband, because the dating scene doesn't end because you're single or married, just so we're clear, right? Let's be very clear there. Let me just kick some wisdom there, right? So that is a relationship. You want your relationship, your marriage to last. And I'm not here to talk about marriage. I'm just telling you what I know, not what I think. If you want a relationship to last, let alone a marriage to last, you better date till you die. <laughs> you better court until you, you know, you have a, that's the only, that's part of why I'm not married. I'm being honest with you. It's like, if I can't have a notebook life marriage, like truly a notebook marriage, I'm not going to get married. I, if you guys, and everybody needs to know that movie, Notebook, I can give you a thousand movies, you know, it's like, you know, it's just, a, a, you know, Thomas Crown Affair relationship. If I can't, if you can't go see Thomas Crown, and I'm straight up Thomas Crown. That's, I am the black version of Thomas. If you haven't seen the movie, if you want to have a movie night with the people that you love, or if you want to have one by yourself and you just want to be inspired, go watch Thomas Crown tonight, Thomas Crown Affair. You'll see, oh, there that's the black version, Byron. Byron's the black version. Yes. See, if I can't have that type of like love affair with life, I mean, truly with being inspired, like when was the last time you asked somebody to go to a museum as a date, you know, or ask somebody to go and just, um, you know, learn something together? You know, that's what keeps relationships together is when you can grow in something. You have something that, it makes it harder to break. It doesn't, it doesn't give any absolutes. It's not going to give any guarantees. But even, you know, it's like, I see a lot of people attempting to do businesses together, but doing business together before you've grown together, then in turn, if there's a conflict within the spirit of the two of you, then in turn, the business goes awry and then takes you down 10 times further. So you got to pick and choose your poison carefully as you grow slowly. Is this making sense for those who can see me? Kiki, don't drive and look, okay, y'all with me? Okay, good. And so let me jump in. I'm just kicking some wisdom here of what I already know, right? So it's like, choose wisdom over the accumulation of things. You know, um, there's, there's two sides to that. One is that I, I've, I've learned is amazing in some people. I was having this conversation with some family members yesterday that you have to have the frugal on your side, frugality on your side. But you also have to have, cause see, I'm not the frugality, just so we're clear. I'm frugal in these days how I spend. I'm not, I'm, I mean, you know, I mean, I really am frugal in how I spend. For me, I'm not frugal in how I spend for others. But when it comes to business, I'm half cocked because I only know how to jump in, all in or all out. That's just me. So you have to have that person who I call it like me, half cocked, and you have to have the frugal side in order for the yin and yang to work. You have to have the balancing. Is this making sense? Am I getting this so far? Right, because I've seen how, how life has beat the spirit out of certain people that have surrounded me in my life. I used to have friends around me that were very aggressive in just enjoying the journey of life and exploring and exploring, you know, from every perspective that now want to have safety and they want a secure life and they want, you know, it's like, ah, oh, just, you know, you got to think differently now. I was like, no, your secure thinking is actually a faulty thinking. It's going to kill you. That type of thinking, you think you're secure, not understanding, just standing in the middle of the street and you don't know you're in the middle of the street, you're going to get hit by a bus. I'm trying to teach you how to run with the gazelles. 
I am attempting to teach you how to live in the jungle and survive and eat well. You're trying to sit still so no animal sees you, not understanding either you're gonna starve to death or when an animal does see you by accident, your body's gonna be so cold that you can't outrun the next animal and you're gonna be eaten. You see anybody getting this conversation? God, just talking, I'm telling you, I'm just sharing with you, it's just so deep how people just don't understand that you cannot be the prey. <laughs> if you're gonna live an extraordinary life. And so many people set themselves up to be pursued and become the prey in so many ways. And they think their little bark, they, have you ever seen one of those chihuahuas think that they actually a big dog? You're looking at like a little dog, like really? And I mean, you just see the, you know, the, the rock while they're looking at like, are, we, are you serious now? Are you, are you serious? Are you serious? The little dog just think it's doing something. You ever hear people talk like that? You like, you just look like, are you serious now? Are, are you, are you, you gotta be kidding, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, this is just not, this is just funny, right? <laughs> so anyway, take the garment of one who is surety for a stranger and hold it as a pledge when it is a seductress. Man, this is going somewhere. So what we're saying here, let me read that again. Take the garment of one who is surety for a stranger and hold it as a pledge when it is a seductress. Now, I want you to write down reference point here. Exodus 22, 26 through 27. Exodus 22, 26 through 27. Says an Israelite could take someone's outer garment as a deposit or a guarantee for a loan as long as they returned it each evening so it could be used as a night covering or blanket. Solomon's advice here is that you loan to someone has, uh, is that if you, if you loan, if you loan to someone who has already been foolishly agreed to be surety for a stranger, really trying to understand this here, make sure you get the deposit of your guarantee back. That's all he's saying. <laughs> get your money back. <laughs> So he's saying, if you loan something, make sure you get the deposit or whatever you took as a guarantee. I look at his rent. I look at his property. That's what I'm, that's how I'm understanding it. It's like, if you let somebody move in, you know, or if you move in and you give somebody a guarantee, you know, make sure you get your guarantee or your deposit back when you move out, whatever it is that you give. If they were foolish enough to be surety for a stranger, they should be regarded as a credit risk. We're going to go a little bit deeper in this. Take his garment means, let's look at this. Take his garment means don't lend to him without security. And that's why I gave you Exodus. Is everybody with me on this so far? We're going to break it down together this morning because I know it's a little bit confusing to me as well. You know, as many times as I've read this, which is, as you guys know, quite a few times, I still get twisted sometimes with the words, sometimes with the way it's actually talking to me. So I'm going to break it down piece by piece here. Take his garment means do not lend to anyone without security or a security deposit. Exodus 22, 26 makes reference that he is a bad risk. So people should be held to their obligations. Two synonyms, two synonyms lines teach that a person who is foolish actually becomes responsible for another person's debt. It teaches that a person who is foolish becomes responsible for another person's debts and should be made to keep his word. Taking the garment was the way of holding someone responsible to paying their debts. 
hold it as a pledge when it is for a seductress. Most translations favor stranger or foreigner instead of seductress. The idea seems to focus on someone outside the covenant community. One should demand more security for a loan to someone outside one's knowledge and reference. Is everybody with me? Now it's making a lot more sense. Meaning if you don't know somebody that well and they're just an associate, they're in the church, they're in your, in your organization, you should ask for more. If you do not have a strong relationship, if you do not have a reference point, if you don't know where they live, if you don't break bread with them, if you don't know, if there's some time, you see them this week every day and then you don't see them for a month. If you don't have a, that type, you should ask for more security before you start giving them your car. Somebody might drive off with it. <laughs> you know, this is not goodwill here. This is not, you know, it's just, you just got to be clear. Hold it as a pledge when it is for a seductress. Now, the, parallel, the parallelism suggests strangers is the correct reading, although theories have been presented with regard to the idea of the wayward woman and the wayward man, just in case I get some flack about that, that I don't make reference. When I make reference to the wayward woman, I got flack that I should make reference to the wayward man. So yes, the wayward man, the wayward woman, the sideway man, the sideway woman, the, the side piece woman, the side piece man, however you want to look at it, everybody with me on that. So there's equality here as we get into the 21st century. I don't want to be the one sitting on the pulpit there. Rather, the proverb emphasizes the stupidity of risking one's life to an unknown creditor by becoming security for a stranger. As we move into 17, bread. Let's get back to bread. I like talking about bread. Let's get us some bread, bread, bread. Sunday's bread, let's get it. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth will be filled with gravel. I don't even need to break that down. <laughs> it just sounds terrible. It just sounds terrible. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth will be filled with gravel. Ah, simply put, sin and transgressions have their attraction. There's something in the nature of rebellion that can make bread gained by deceit even sweeter. It satisfied our desires to rebel, our desire for adventure, and our love of forbidden thrills. We might imagine that for forbidden fruit of Eden was delicious. Such a bittersweet was Adam's apple, Esau's mess, the Israelites' quails, Jonathan's honey, the Amalekites' cake, and after the sack of Zilaka, Ziklag, 1 Samuel's 30, 16, Adonijah's dainties, First Kings one night, which ended in horror. Ever after the meal is ended comes the reckoning. Yeah, that's a whole lot of reference points. <laughs> All it's saying is don't use deceit because there isn't. It's like eating. Have you ever like had medicine and or a certain fruit and had an aftertaste or drank something and had an aftertaste? That's all it is. It's like it tasted good going down, and then the aftertaste was like nasty. You could taste it later. See my understanding of this conversation? It's like, dang, it was good. That's nasty. <laughs> That's just nasty, baby. What'd you do? What'd you put in there? It's like it has this lingering taste, and you can't get it out of your mouth either. 2018 plans are established by counsel, by wise counsel, wage war. 
There is help and wisdom in realizing our own limitations and seek counsel. This often leads to our plans being established in the sense of coming to fulfillment. This shows that wise counsel is even more important when great matters are involved, such as life and death matters, such as war. By spiritual analogy, we can also say that we can wage the spiritual warfare. We must fight as believers with the wise counsel of God. You guys heard me making reference to that of binding and being spellbound when you have negative energies finding from different parts of the world. This is actually a reference from Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. This is necessary in every common undertaking and much more in a thing of such high importance as war is. Perhaps there is not a precept in this whole book so little regarded as this. Most of the wars that are undertaken are wars of injustice, ambition, of caprice, which can have no previous good counsel. Because if there was good counsel, there wouldn't be a freaking war. 2019. He who goes about as a tellbearer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with lips. The man or woman who is a tellbearer of gossip loves to reveal things that should be more properly be actually concealed. There are certainly some things that should be revealed, and that's where you go to Ephesians 5.11. But many things should be concealed out of love, 1 Peter 4.8. Wisdom will know which is approach is appropriate in each situation. Hence, that's where wisdom kicks in. The second part of this verse, the person who flatters with his lips will often speak against you as quickly as they speak for you. For those who have been understanding that I've been talking about confidants, constituents, and comrades, this is immediately true in this conversation. And that is the same conversations that we're talking and speaking out with you will speak out against you. Be careful of those who speak out for you too quickly because they may just be your comrades just looking for a fight. And when that fight is over, they might go and fight against you just because they're just angry. You ever meet people that are just angry? They're just angry. It's just like, what's wrong with you? It's just, they just, it's just, even on their happy day, they look angry. It's like, I'm happy. I'm just, I'm, yes, yes, today, today is a freaking happy day. You happy? I'm happy. Great. We both happy. The move over if you're happy. He's like, really? Just get over it. I told you I was happy. Get your butt over here. You ever hear that? I see people that start talking to kids like that. Get your butt over here. And then get right to the counter. Yes, thank you, ma'am. I'm like, oh my God, what just happened to her face? And it's really big in black families for y'all that don't know. Be like, just be like, just. If I, have to, if I have to tell you one more time, and, and you got to be careful when the, when the mouth doesn't move. When the mouth doesn't move, when, if I got to tell you one more time to get your butt over here, if I got to tell you one more get your butt over here, and get right to the camera and be like, hi, ma'am, thank you. I have two of those. <laughs> Crazy as dog crap, boy. I tell you, I see some stuff. I've been around. So all I'm going to say is here. <laughs> The man or woman who is a tellbearer or gossips loves to reveal things that should more properly be concealed. The person who flatters with his lips will often speak against you as quickly as they speak for you. But 2020, as we wrap here, we're getting there, stick with me here, is really, we're going, who curses his father or his mother? His lamp will be put out in the deep darkness. 
All I'm going to tell you is just don't curse your mom and dad, if you, especially if you've got good ones. 21, an inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. When we get too much too soon, it, is often, it, it just often isn't helpful for us. So a large inheritance that hasn't hastily come to us in the beginning of our life is the ones that we get it too quickly. This is actually, you know, I think this is more applicable to what I was talking about with the athletes. When you get a whole lot of money and you don't know what to do with it, and in turn, you haven't been groomed. You don't even know how to balance a checkbook. I, I didn't even have a checkbook. And now you want to give me $100 million. <laughs> this is free money, you know. And you're going to give me on top of that $100 million, you're going to give me another half a billion dollars in credit. Because I have $100 million, I now have a half a billion dollars in credit. And yeah, that's, that's a recipe for hell. That is a recipe for hell to give some. It's like giving a child a, a flame of a, a torch blower and saying, I'm going to leave the house. Have fun. <laughs> and then you ask, what happened? What happened? What happened to the house? What? Didn't you, didn't you turn it on and figure out that's hot? <laughs> it's like, really? When we get too much too soon, I mean, I think that's just, you know, it will not be blessed. That's all I'm saying. As we get to 22, do not say, I will recompense evil. I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. This, what wise men or women should not say, wisdom and obedience to God teach us that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Romans 12, 9. Wisdom teaches us to rely on God and trust in him to recompense, recompense evil. This does not mean that wisdom is indifferent to evil and will never oppose it. It means that wisdom recognizes that there are many times, more than we think, when we should go, let go, let go of any kind of recompense towards evil and wait for the Lord. Wait, it does say wait. It doesn't say go, it says wait to save us. Now, if you go to Proverbs 20, 23, diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord and dishonest skills are not good. I'm just going to keep that because he keeps saying that. I already get that. It, it, what all he's saying is don't do bad business. Can we be clear about that? <laughs> and don't cross somebody the wrong way. Just do good business and do it with integrity. 2024, a man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? That could be taken deep. I'm just men and women rightly make their plans, but God guides steps according to his own will and wisdom. He certainly doesn't leave it all up to choices and plans of men and women. This proverb teaches us humility in regards to our own life choices and our path. We should not think or act as if we are all in control or all according to our plans steps because they will change along your path. God will redirect you when he sees that there's an accident ahead. And if you decide to keep going and plowing ahead 100 miles per hour, then you're supposed to be in a stuck place. Somebody better listen this morning. 2025, it is a snare. As I, actually, I told you, I told you, see, he keeps talking to me before the next verse. Could you just let me get to the next verse and, let, and I can read it? And then you can talk to them by telling me what to say because I'm just saying, I'm just... You put me, just, can we, okay, I'll work with you. Okay, just work with me. All right, stick with me here. It is a snare, which is what I was just saying. You're going to get caught. You're going to run right into accident. A snare, something's going to get you caught. For a man to devote rashly, doing something hastily, something as holy. So you're going to do it in the name of God, but God's going to come back and get you. Stick with me. And afterwards, reconsider his vows. 
This has in mind the practice of dedicating things to God for his use alone. Hence, we ask to be his instruments. When it comes to promises of dedication to God, we should avoid the snare of emotional and rash promises. To pronounce a thing sacred is to dedicate it. Here, then, is an impulsive man pledging more than he seriously intends or is capable of doing. Solomon also dealt with this matter in Ecclesiastes 5, 4 through 7, for those taking copious notes, 5, 4 through 7. These passages show us that a commonly overlooked and unappreciated sin among God's people is the sin of broken vows. Broken vows, keeping your word, promising things to God, and failing to live up to the vow, those who honor God will keep their word. Whether you're going to do a deed, whether you're going to go get customers, whether you're going to get clients, whether you're going to go get new business, whether you're going to go to the gym, whether you're going to take someone on a date, whether you're going to, whether you're going to follow through on something, whether you're going to ask somebody's back, whether you're going to loan something, whether you're going to pay something back. It's God's, he, he just, this is a sin of broken vows will not be quick to make vows to God. Please don't be quick to make vows to God if you can't keep words to yourself. Please be careful before you talk to our Father. We'll be serious about fulfilling vows. We'll regard broken vows as sins to confess and be repented. When a promise to God is made foolishly, it forces us to reconsider our vows, something wisdom would have protected us from to begin with. This is really explained in Levit Le Leviticus 27 explains that Israelites could buy themselves out of rash vows. It was expensive though. That's Leviticus 27 if you want that reference point just so you have it. Proverbs 20, 26, as a wise king sifts out the wicked. A wise king sifts out the wicked and brings the threshing wheel over them. An earthly ruler understands how important it is to administer justice, and part of that is to carefully examine, sifts out, sifts out, digging stuff up, de-weeding the wicked. It is wise for an earthly ruler to do this as well. We can expect that God also does it by default and does it perfectly, I should add. A wise earthly ruler not only knows how to carefully examine the wicked, but then also to bring whatever punishment is appropriate, to use what is wise and necessary to separate the evil from the good, as a threshing wheel separates the shaft from the wheat and grain. And I quote, he brings back. Causes to return, Proverbs 123, represents the will of the cart going over the heads of grain and many times to thresh it thoroughly. Hmm. As we get to 2027, the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord. The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord. The spirit of the man, the spirit of a man, the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. There are mysteries and truths of the inner man, the spirit of a man, that only the lamp of the Lord can expose. In this respect, we think that God's world as a lamp and a light in this respect, we think of God's word as a lamp and a light that only he can expose you. You will either be exposed or you will produce. Either way, the lamp is the word. Psalms 119.105, if you want the reference point, by the way. Psalms 119.105. See, the spirit, the nesama, that's how you say if you go into Hebrew, nesama, 
N-E-S-A-M-A-H, Nesama, however you want to pronounce it. I say Nesama, because it, it reminds me of Nessa. Nessa came from Nesama, Nesama, which is spirit. It's the inner spiritual part of human life that was in breath at the creation. So the, the Nesama is the inner spiritual part of a human life that was in breath, that was put in, that was inserted, that was, that was molded and created as the embryo at the creation. Now, if you want the reference point to that, that's Genesis 2, 7. We're almost done with this. Stick with me. And, the, and, and what it constitutes is humans as spiritual beings with moral, intellectual, and spiritual capacities. Within the mystery of the spirit nature of every man, there is a light. It is the instrument of God. God is the light. Hence, we're talking about him being the lamp. And that's the only way one can be exposed is through his light. And they will be exposed no matter how much they want to actually be, you know, occult or hidden or put away. It illuminates the light. It is by that which man is constantly kept face to face with truth in which he has a gutting soul that has something eating at him, edging at him, ebbing at him. Let's make no mistake about it. The most evil men know that their works are evil. God's word can search the depths of a man's heart like nothing else. This is because God's word is living and active. It is a living, active being that was placed inside. By the way, that comes from Hebrew 4.12, just so you know. It is alive. Conscious has the, has aptly been called God in man. Conscious, if we talk about our conscious, our subconscious, and all this stuff everybody wanted to talk about, that's actually just God. <laughs> just so we're clear. Like, well, you know, I have this thing, and I, I want to teach you how to train the subconscious mind and the unconscious mind. Oh, you're going to teach me how to train God. You, that's what you're telling me. Is you're going to teach me how to, so long as we're going to train me how to talk to God and ask of God and respect God and then let him in the conscious mind actually bring me back together again. Because I've, I've read the power of the subconscious mind many times. You guys know in that it actually speaks about, and I actually had uh, Cornelius get it. I said, it actually teaches you how to remend your own body, that the power of that really you, God has given you everything you need between the fruits, the vegetables, between the walnuts and the brain, between the tomatoes and the heart, between everything that's out there, you know, I mean, through, through the, the beans and, and, and your, in your kidneys, it's, he's giving you everything to heal yourself. And you go through the subconscious mind or through the conscious mind, just the consciousness. But here we understand what the subconscious and the, sub, and the conscious is. It's God. <laughs> About that. God has, has given every man a mind which he enlightens by his own spirit that the man knows how to distinguish good from evil and conscience, which springs from this, searches the inmost recesses of the soul. Y'all better stop. Stick with me here. We only have two more verses. I'm at 28. This is really, it just makes sense. Mercy and truth preserve the king. And by loving kindness, he upholds his throne. 
any earthly king may be preserved by God's mercy and truth shown to the king and by the mercy and truth the king shows to others. The principle of the proverb, which is the complement of verse 6, applies with equal force to lesser forms of authority. 29 says, the glory of young men is their strength and the splendor of old men is their gray head. He makes reference to his gray head again of being able to have gray hair, but it was the times. It was at that time. God has so designed human development that young men excel in physical strength, and this is a glory to them. It is wise and suitable for young men to take on tasks that fit this glory. What the old men lack in physical strength, they should make up for in wisdom that is appropriate for those who have gray hair or those that have no hair. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Now, in that, <laughs> Proverbs 20, 30, blows that hurt cleanse away evil, as do stripes the inner, uh, strips, I'm sorry, strips the inner depths of the heart. Let me repeat that for you. It's the last one. Blows that hurt cleanse away evil, as do strips the inner depths of the heart. Blows that hurt cleanse, the, cleanse away evil. Pain is a burden. Let's just say that. Let's just get that out of the way. But it can bring forth a benefit. If we allow the unpleasant fire of pain to refine and cleanse away all evil, then our sorrow and our pain is not wasted. Something was gained. In context, this is not parental discipline, but beatings administered by the king's officers as punishment for crime. Yahweh can peer directly into a person's innermost being because Yahweh has placed this consciousness, but the king can touch the criminal's soul by harsh retribution. Some must be beaten back, black and blue, <laughs> back, black and blue, ere they will be better. Neither is wit anything worth with them till they have paid well for it if they actually do wrongdoings. The other side of that, Solomon probably used stripes or strips, strips here as a symbolic sense for the chastening that comes in life. If we receive such discipline with wisdom, it will purify us in the inner depths of our heart. Physical punishment may prove spiritually valuable is what they're saying from, from a king's perspective. The paradox of Isaiah Write it down. This is the last piece here. The paradox of Isaiah 53.5 stands out sharply against this, this background that with his, with his strips, we are healed. With his strips, as we strip, 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 stripes, strips, stripes. Back then they said strips because it was like they use, I don't have time for this, this lesson. I'm sorry. I'm going into this thought process of the cat of nine tails. Is anybody familiar with that, by the way? Okay. Um, it's a very deadly thing. It's something they used back in the day, and it was carried over into slavery. It didn't start with slavery. It started back in Christ's day, the cat of nine tails, where they would actually have uh, strips of leather, and they'd have stones and glass and everything tied at the end of it, and they would whip you. And yeah. So anyway, not to end on a bad note. But I'm just letting you know. Hey, wisdom is everything. This whole thing was about don't get drunk on the weekend. <laughs> Preserve your mind. Don't lose no days over anything. See, Solomon begins by attacking excessive wine drinking in this chapter. And he's also stating that uh, it'll lead you into all kinds of manners that are aggressive shenanigans. Despite this brief digression into supporting moderation, moderation, because he did 
support moderation in alcoholic consumption. Of course, Jesus, we know, had wine. Uh, he also returns to yet a more comfortable, familiar topic. Don't provoke kings. Don't quarrel. Don't be lazy. Don't be disloyal. Don't use false weights and measurements. Don't cheat people in business. Solomon picks up some fresh points as well, purposes, as I told you earlier. Proverbs goes on to say, look, nobody's perfect. Everyone has a heart stained somewhat with sin though we can get it purified in the blood of Jesus if we then turn over our life to him. He also touches on kids reveal their own inner natures by their good and their bad acts. Watch that little bad baby child. <laughs> you know, don't let, don't let that little face fool you. <laughs> I'm innocent. Oh, I know you done messed up. So it builds character. Again, what Solomon is talking about is it treads over ground that he or she has covered earlier. Don't lend money to strangers or foreigners use this because they'll use deceit to gain riches. Don't gossip or babble or make rash vows. Always consult wise advisors. If you don't make a decision, starting with the Lord himself, dishonest buyers pretends he's getting cheated to haggle his or her way into a better deal. If you quickly acquire some property in the beginning, it's not going to last long. If you quickly acquire money, you, you, this has to be done. You're going to give something to somebody, meaning your children, in inheritance. Don't just give it to them over. I mean, even, even in, um, we have my father, which I, I, at this point in my life, I so appreciate. Um, he acquired and amassed a lot of property in his life, <clears throat> more than property. You know, he's, uh, especially in finding this out, he's acquired a lot. I don't know if he's sharing any of this, but he has amassed a lot. Um, obviously, it's underneath a trust. He was smart enough to understand how to put everything in an irrevocable trust. Um, and we've seen so many families, especially minority families, lose everything by not taking protection over the things that they have gained. Then we also see, not just in Black families or minority families, but in all families, how they had to get into a war and fight with each other um, after you know it's been made available to be split up amongst the family. Um, <clears throat> it's really smart to understand how to do these things beforehand and make sure that your stuff is protected in passing things on. You know, um, one of, one of, why did this spark a, spark a nerve? Because obviously my mother is overseeing that property, not the property I got with my father as a child, but the property that my father accumulated for the family between me and my sister. And he actually was lived long enough, God willing, to actually put the grandchildren in the will as well. And in that will, what it says, what it states, why it applies to this conversation here is that in the interim of my death, in the interim of grandma's death, my mother's death, as the properties will be equally split and everything was done. In fact, we had to identify the properties and everything we wanted before he passed, when he, went, when he put together a will. So we don't have to worry about if this property goes up in value or that property goes up in value and you get this or you get that, well, you got more over here and this property. It's like, no, you choose. And it's like, you know, me and my sister are so cool and have done so well to the point where like, you really don't have to leave us anything. You've given us everything. I, you know, my father used to make a statement. He used to say, you're going to miss me one day. It's like, and I was like, I already miss you because just you saying that scares the hell out of me. But in that conversation, he would always, when he got mad, he would threaten me. He's like, I'm gonna take you out the wheel, you ain't getting nothing. And I was like, you can't scare me, dad. You could take everything. You've already made the mistake. He'd be looking at me like, what do you mean I made a mistake? I said, you the reason I'm here. I got your brain. I don't need nothing you got. <laughs> I was a little smart ass boy. But I was dead serious. I was like, 
as so long as I got your work ethic and I have your brain, I don't need nothing. You, you can give it all to Andrea. I don't need nothing in the will because I'm smart enough. I, you taught me how to fish. That was as if you didn't want me to have nothing, then you should have, you know, if you shouldn't have, hey, you shouldn't have had me, but you know, just your DNA. I know how to survive on any planet on this universe, not on Earth, on any planet. I will become an alien and learn how to survive and still thrive. And that's because of just watching you and your DNA. It's your fault. So, what was really cool about what he did in his will was, um, we could not sell the property, like obviously we aren't, but <clears throat> the property left underneath my mom. When my mom passes, God be it another hundred years, when my mom passes, we can't sell it for at least three years and after my mother's passing. So nobody could ever, and then if I hold on to anything that's accumulated in my sister, the grandkids, anything that started from the seed of the dollar that my father created. Is everybody following me on that so far? So any, any monies that were delivered from any of the properties or any of the other investments my father had that span out from my mom to me to my sister, that as it reaches the grandkids, any of that money that goes there, whoever, whoever acquires it, it could be four generations down. If one penny came from this piece of property from my father, that property and nothing that was accumulated in inheritance could be touched in the sense of selling it like a car like I have, an, I have, I love antique cars. I have a 280 SL. I think you guys heard me talk about that. It, I, when I five years ago, I was about to sell it underneath the approval of my mom, and it was like forty five thousand. And today, this guy at the at the at the gas station, only God could have done this, stopped me and said, "Do not sell it." True to true, I cannot make this up. We had a conversation. He was loving my car. I was loving his. I said, "I have one of those." I said, "I'm about to sell it." He said, "Do not sell it." It's going to go through the roof. Do you understand that was five years ago and today that car it was worth $45 in peak value. Today it's worth $130 peak value. Five years it's escalated to $130,000, $140,000. Can't get down under $100,000. I was just like, and so things of this nature can't be, you know, um, if I, if, if for whatever reason I inherit right now one of the properties, I can't sell it for at least three years. All I'm saying is if you intend on being wealthy, if you intend on doing something for your family, for your kids, and for your nephews and nieces, whoever else, don't just put it and think you're doing well by handing them a hundred an insurance policy of a million dollars, a half a million dollars, a hundred thousand. They will squander it. It's worse than an athlete because the athlete at least has a chance, has two or three times to make a mistake. When you don't do it right by your family for something that you did under straight sweat equity, underneath hard labor, sometimes you only get one chance. I'd say in most cases, for most of us, you're only gonna get one chance to do it right. When I've seen it happen so many times where one person has worked so hard and the next generation, it's gone in the blink of an eye. It's like poof, nothing. And I'd say that's nine out of 10 more, more times than not because the next generation wasn't taught financial literacy, wasn't taught how to save, it wasn't taught how to leverage, it wasn't taught in all this. And even more so than it wasn't taught, the child didn't put in the work, so has no appreciation for what was given to him. I mean, I see, and I know my son's in there, he can hear me. I see that even with my son, you know, it's like, on one hand, it's like I, I, I battle with 
how much I give him to be able to know that he's, he knows he can have anything. He knows whatever he wants. The beautiful thing why I, I, I'm graced in that sense is why I don't mind giving him everything is he doesn't want anything. I could have got a child that wanted everything. It's like, yeah, give me that, give me that. I could have got me. God forbid. Jesus. I, I mean, I was, I, I mean, I think about it. I'm, I'm being serious. I don't be laughing, but I'm being so serious. I think about it. I actually saw my sister when we were young. I was always the favorite. And my grandfather, I got a, I wanted a boom box. I wanted a boom box. I wanted a chaos one boom box. I wanted a boom box. Yeah, tell you, see, I wanted a boom box. And I had that boom box and I got it. I was so spoiled. I mean, it was a big box. And um, my sister, she got, back in the day, you're talking about like 19, I'm gonna tell myself, this was like 1975. 1975. And the, Triniton Sony TVs were just coming out. They were just coming out. And she got a minute, she got a, and the TVs were just starting to get smaller around 78, 75, 78. And I, she got a small TV. And I was so upset that I got the radio and she got a TV. I said, I want a TV. I was so spoiled. Oh my God, that I made such a ruckus in my own way. Now, I wasn't a crying baby. I'm not one that's gonna make a lot of noise. I'm like who I am today. I'm going to get inside your head. So I got inside my grandfather and my grandmother's head. And of course, the next day, there was a TV at my house. And um, I could have got me. And that would have been definitely not good. Um, definitely not good. But we look at it. All I'm sharing is that we have to be careful as to how we live with him. I don't mind doing and giving because he wants so little and wants to do so much for himself. You know, but then there's other things we still have to correct people on, our children on. You know, like I tell them right now, this day and age, I couldn't wait till I was 16 to get my license. I do not understand kids today that do, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. But I do, you know, because it's what I teach as far as this evolution where we live, you know, to, to really, I told them, look, either you're going to have a bus pass or you're going to have a car for your birthday. You turn 21. Negro, you better learn how to drive or you will be on the bus. You will no longer be on a ticket, on an Uber, on my ticket. You will be walking. And you know what? And it's not something he, he will do whatever he chooses to do. But it's like, it's just amazing. So anyway, I think you guys get the lesson. Thank you, God, for this morning and everything that you've given us. Bless everyone on their way on this Sunday. We're going to have a further conversation today, God, because you really acted out today. So it's okay. I, I'm used to it because I showed up for it. And so in turn, I need you to work through me and everybody that's in the body of this conversation to be a blessing to everyone across the past and be a miracle and be able to touch. And we just give thanks. We are such gratitude. We have such gratitude and so much love for you. And I just appreciate you just for you. I just look, I, today's going to be amazing. I think today's going to be amazing. No, I know today's it's going to be amazing. You know why I know? Because I know you're here. And I just want to say thank you. And I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So that being said, <laughs> it's going to be an ongoing conversation with Jesus today. I already feel it. We're going to have this tug of war in a good way. No, let's bless this person. No, let's bless this person. The reason I did that is because I do have a meal for you guys, but I know people have things to do. Some people are going to church and everything else. So I want to prove this message.